We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And we ended the last podcast wondering if the Lakers would have a bit of a an emotional letdown after kind of the crescendo of the in-season tournament game against Memphis. And boy, did they ever. Another night where the Lakers are down 20 points in the first quarter, which is a fact that I want to zero in on later in the pod because that's really where the game was lost. And the... Difference in energy and, and effort and engagement was stark. And I, you know, Darius, role players especially will follow the lead of their best players. And both LeBron and AD started that game very poorly. LeBron was throwing the ball all over the gym. AD was a step slow all night. And we'll get into more about that. LeBron was very good to great the rest of the game. But he was yeah. a big reason why we were down 20 as, as we were in that first quarter. And then AD just did not have the level of engagement to start the game. And then it was very clear that he was physically laboring at yes. some point during the first quarter. I don't know when that started to happen, but it certainly was apparent. And uh, and so that is – we'll talk more about that. But I want to start with the stars in particular because I think yeah. that this isn't the last time that's going to happen. And I think that it's, this needs to be kind of baked into some of the calculus and is honestly part of my rationale for going bigger. But what did you see from last night from a, a bad night where we got whooped? No, I think that you spelled it out correctly that it was really LeBron and AD setting the tone for a group that looked like they had played the night before but should not have looked like they have played the night before considering they had gotten so much rest in the fourth quarter, right? Mm -hmm. Like those guys' minutes were in the 20s and they were, they should have been ready to go and they just weren't, right? And um, like we were talking about this in in the text thread, but the Kings are the exact wrong team mm. to play mm -hmm. when you're a step slow or you're not, mentally engaged because the Kings are the type of team that specifically with the Aaron Fox, but even like Sabonis plays into this as well. Fox is just too fast. And so, and this is already a Lakers team that can be exposed in transition. They've been trying to mitigate their, their transition woes by like not going to the offensive glass at all. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the Lakers offensive rebounding rate, um, and I haven't checked this in in a couple of games, but they were last in the league in offensive rebounding rate. And for a team that has as many bigs as they do and plays like two big lineups, you would think that they would be able to um, to gather some offensive rebounds more, but they're just abandoning it. You can even see ADs like not even going to to the offensive glass like 60, 70, 80 percent of the time. Like he will go there, but he, he's, he's not crashing the way that he was earlier during the season. And so I bring all of this up because the. The Kings don't need you to go to the offensive glass to get up the court quickly, not with Fox. He's like the fastest player in the league with, well, with the ball. And so doc, I I'm sure you were watching the spectrum feed, but Mm -hmm. I was watching the ESPN feed multiple times. Doc rivers was highlighting this, like on the broadcast, he's like, look at the, look at the shot clock when the shot goes up and it was 20 seconds. That's right. 20 seconds, 21 seconds. Sacramento came into that game D as the lowest scoring fast break team in the whole NBA too. So this is one thing I was texting you guys. Certainly they're capable, right? They got a lot of fast guys, but it's not been how they play. But against the Lakers, that is absolutely the scouting report around the league is there are easy points to be had if you can get out and run. So Fox was just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Um, Sabonis is another grab and go player. And when your center is a grab and go player, Mm -hmm. I think that can be particularly problematic for the Lakers because if AD is underneath the basket, then the Kings were getting a lot of cross matches in, in early offense. And that just confused the Lakers transition defense even more. And, and, And so it was just bad tone setting from LeBron and AD. The first time I noticed AD grab that is growing, it was like maybe the five minute mark, the four minute mark. Like it was in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And two minutes later, he didn't make it past half court on a play where mm-hmm. the Lakers were in early offense. And then my feed was a little bit behind. So Mike was in the arena mm-hmm. and he sent us a text basically saying AD is coming out mm-hmm. right now. Like he asked to come mm-hmm. out. And so it was a little bit earlier than his normal um, than his normal rotation because LeBron didn't come back in. It was a str- there was like an extended stretch where it was like Austin and the bench group, and 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 so I thought that after that point, AD like just wasn't himself at all. Mm-hmm. He's had these games, Pete, where he's like a little bit like a step slow in the first half. In fact, it was the two previous games. Both games, he was like, oh, working his, working his way into the flow of the action. And then, yeah, the Portland game, for example, was one where he was, you know, I was, I was frustrated in the text thread. And then by the third quarter, you know, mid third quarter, he's dominating the game. The next game as well. It was the same, same thing. And then suddenly, and then Memphis, it was just like an all out assault from the very beginning. But it was just like, oh, okay, well, he's, I'm sorry, it was the Phoenix game and then the Portland game. Both of those games, the first halves were a little bit iffy. And the Phoenix game was more understandable. He, it was his first game back from, from injury. But then by the end of those games, it's like, oh, 22 points and 11 rebounds and four blocks. And it's just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You're, you're Anthony Davis. Last night, there was no such thing. And so Sabonis took it to him. And I obviously thought Sabonis's physicality in combination with AD not being himself physically was mm-hmm. enough to sort of just like end that yeah. right there. And then 
they're down 20 before you know it. Like Sacramento was hitting shots the way the Lakers hit shots just just the night before. And they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And and honestly, it wasn't even just the open court stuff. Like in the half court, oh, um, yeah. the way that Herder and Fox were like ripping around these handoff situations. Well played five out basketball. Yeah. That's the way you got to do it. And it's one of the reasons why earlier during the season, in contrast to the way the Lakers were running their their offenses, it's like, nah, y'all are walking. Mm-hmm. Y'all are walking into these handoffs or into these ball screens. And that's like not the way it's going to go. Mm-hmm. If you're going to compromise, if you're going to compromise um, a defense that is has to help one pass away, you got to do it by like getting them back on their heels by mm-hmm. running hard. And the Kings were doing that expertly and the Lakers were not ready for that level of pace. Like none of them were even cam was like a bit like on his heels Mm -hmm. to start the game against Fox. So it's just like, Oh, this is much different. Fox will get you on the last few games. Yeah. Yeah. Sacramento will do that too. Right. Sacramento will get you onto your heels. And with the Sabonis AD matchup, it's, also something that that's exactly the type of player that AD is most vulnerable to on defense. His biggest defensive weakness, I think, is against a strong guy that can handle the ball, right? And strong like four or five. So a big bruiser type of five that can also handle the rock, right? Like I, a guy like Valanchunas, for example, can't isolate against AD because he'll never be able to get the shot up because AD is going to strip him down low, you know, block him up high type of thing. Bother his handles. Bother his handles. He'll never be able to attack. But Sabonis handles the ball a ton. He's their primary ball handler in a lot of ways. And so what... Leaves him in assists, I think. Right. That's right. And so a lot of their offense runs through him. And what AD was doing was sagging way off of him because he's not much of a shooting threat. But Sabonis was eating up that distance and drives right at his chest. And that's the way to beat AD is to go through him. And AD is looking for like for strips and deflections. And he has this really unique style of, of play defensively that in a lot of aspects of it is Fundam- technically, fundamentally incorrect. Like he'll turn his body to the side and like lean back, and it's it's very cool in some ways because I see the ways that it works for him. But if you can like push him and not get stripped by him, this is where the ball handling part comes in. And so this is why Jokic is particularly devastating, and the way that he looks to attack AD isn't shooting jumpers over the top and unless he has to right at the end of a shot clock but it's really backing him down and just putting him under the basket and that's what Sabonis was doing and he's got the craft with the ball to be able to bump him and then move the ball out of the way a little bit as AD's trying to swipe at it and then hit a little lefty jump hook or something like that and so that to me like (laughs) there are a lot of aspects of this to me D that like Going bigger, I, I I hate to keep beating this drum, but the AD is dealing with this hip thing. We know this, right? And so you were talking about how in the Phoenix game and in the Portland game, he was not himself. Well, part of that is he's coming back from this this hip thing. And from watching him from for several years, AD is a guy, for all of the talk about his health and all of that, he has a lot of like 
he gets banged up. Like he's not hurt necessarily and doesn't yep. miss time, but he gets a lot of injury. And like, to me, this is the whole like yelling at the guy who's helping you move your couch is that a lot of them come from him being in the mix on like a zillion different plays where he's like, it's the physical ask is really high. He exposes himself to this stuff because of his ability and his want to sort of like be like, oh, this is my, he's great. Like, at I'm going to go help here. I'm going to go help. He's great at it. And that said, though, that he is then put in the position, especially when he's the only person asked on the floor on the floor who's being asked to do this to kind of get dinged up. And so we've seen A.D. coming back both from injury and being dinged up a lot in this. Uh, he's now in his fifth year with the Lakers. One of the things I've really noticed is that especially in the last couple of years, he will play through it, but he seems to want to know that he's okay first, right? Like, like he will take his time to play his way back up to speed. He doesn't hit the ground running when he comes back from an injury, like, cause he doesn't want to injure it more. Right. And obviously I am making assumptions here, right? I don't, I don't mean to psychoanalyze AD's mindset necessarily, but he like, he will not hit the ground running and, and will like try to see if his body can handle it in ways yeah. that that is going to be a thing. That if he doesn't, if he's the only person that we're asking to handle like physical responsibilities and a lot of the dirty work of the game, that we're, we have a major deficit out of nowhere on nights like that. So let's take a break, come back, kind of keep talking about this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No, I think that this is a great point, and it's like a double-edged sword with this, right? Like, early in the game, based off of how LeBron came out, for example, I thought to myself, well, if LeBron's going to offer the level of focus that he has, like, just to start start the game. Again, the rest of the game, he was brilliant, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's unreal what he's doing yes. um, at this stage of his career. And so, I don't want to harp on the negative with, with LeBron. Um but I thought very early, it's just like, oh, turnover, bad pass, like ball handling miscues, like just a lot of stuff that, you know, if LeBron is focused, these things just aren't there at all. Mm -hmm. They're just not there at all. And so I thought there was a lack of like mental focus with well, with LeBron. And I just thought, well, if if he was going to come into this game with this sort of mindset, maybe he should have just rested. And and taken the second night of of a back back to back off, and then he was brilliant the rest of the game. And I'm just like, yeah, Dovey, imagine what this game looks like without right. LeBron James, <laughs> right? It's just like, ha ha ha, 
the basketball gods have a way of setting you in your place for thinking such foolishness. In regards to this double-edged sword idea with with AD, like he doesn't get enough credit for trying to play through his ailments. But when he is playing through his ailments, he's almost like a player who's playing in foul trouble. To a, to a That's a extent. great comparison. It's it's very passive, which is the exact opposite of why he's such a terror. Exactly. And so he's on the court and he is he is helpful in certain ways. Like he had nine rebounds. He had four block shots like he was still doing stuff. But you, if he's going to be in the game, you need him to sort of have the baseline level of AD-ness. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't have that. For most of the game last night, he picked it up some like in the fourth quarter. I thought when he got that top of the key like drive mm-hmm. against JaVale and then he took the contact and and finished like he almost needed a play like that way earlier in the game to sort of say like, hey, my body is OK. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm just going to go at it 100 percent because he will he will play with sort of that like 75, 80% level engagement. And that's still an excellent NBA player for stretches. But when you're playing against then a super fast team that is trying to run by you, and then your individual matchup is this hammer that's basically just like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, those old like medieval cartoons where they show like the big log that's tied to the ropes and they're trying uh-huh, to the battering through yeah. the castle doors, yeah, yeah. right? That's like Sabonis. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought that when AD got hurt or when he started to feel the hip a little bit, Sabonis basically rammed right into him. Clean play, legal play. Mm -hmm. He's taking up space, but he's just like, I'm knocking you off. And then after that, AD's just like, oh, damn, did I just strain my growing a little bit here? And we're playing a dangerous game having him guard those guys over and over and over again. You know, like that's not the last time he's going to be asked to do that. And that is not like he's not Dwight Howard 2009 where he's that he's not- physical like you know, well, he's not even Dwight Howard, 2019, 20. That's right. Like, like, he's a different player. They threw Dwight out there to guard Sabonis. This is the thing. To, to I'm, guard I'm so glad dudes. you brought this up. So like Shaq will, will get really pissed off at AD and same with Barkley, right? About like not being tough enough, not being strong enough and all of that. And it's like Anthony Davis was like 6'2 as a sophomore or whatever in high school and had this massive growth spurt. So his like the way that your mentality and your basketball mentality is set is is earlier right Shaq was always by far the biggest guy on the floor even a guy like Charles Barkley who was not tall he was basically like a 6'5 Shaq in a lot of ways you know and like he was a Barkley was 300 pounds yes like it's how he got cut from the Olympic team in 84 the team that Jordan was on like Bobby Knight cut him because he was fat basically he was just like oh like this fat kid and then they're just like wait you cut that dude right that dude's like one of the best dudes here what's going on anyways and, that, and i digress that fat kid was was a hammer who's a great athlete yes. who could fly up the court right and but barkley was so it's funny guys like Shaq and barkley like there's a whole generation that doesn't know them as players that like barkley was a marvelous player anyway they well, were different were one players. of ones yes yeah they were yes. one of ones i remember there were a whole bunch Literally. of guys that like guys like my 
Michael Sweetney and Marcus Pfizer who got drafted and they'd be hailed as the next Charles Barkley. And it's like, nah, he's just six five and and like thick. That doesn't mean he's the next Charles Barkley. I had always said that like we'll see like five more Michael Jordans, and I'm using quotes here sure. because like a six six athletic shooting guard who makes all of these plays, like we'll see five more of those dudes yep. before we see like one more Charles That's Barkley. Right. Before we see one more Shaq? Anyways, like, we're on a limb here. We we are. We are on a limb. But it it relates back of that, like, banging with Sabonis, like, AD can do that. But if AD is asked to do that over 82 night after night after night, like, that's not the thing that he does. And you're playing a very dangerous game with his physical issues and the, the tweaks and the getting banged up that you're putting him in a position for that to happen a lot. And if it were effective... I could at least see the argument for it, but like we're like we need to talk about Torian Prince at, at some point. Prince is playing 30 minutes a game and is averaging 1.9 rebounds per game. And on a team that's like just so that gives up so many second chance points and just yeah. like and he's shooting 31.8% from three, you know, like and last night you're like, you know, Prince on Fox is not it. And that's not Prince's fault, right? But it's like, no, no, no he no. shouldn't be able to guard De'Aaron <laughs> yeah. Fox. You go to his basketball. Darius on Fox is not yeah, it. That's it's just right. like, hey, yeah, <laughs> guess what? That's right. That's right. And so anyhow, like I just, in the context of AD, like we have AD under contract for what, four more years? I think that the path in which AD is asked to be your primary five and that's like he's the guy that has to bang with the Sabonises every night. That's a much more dangerous path than the one in which he has a, a running buddy. This is like a different discussion than like the Kings game and, and like some of the frustrations of that, but it plays into these larger ideas that we've often talked about the types of players to support LeBron best. And that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. LeBron's your best player. You should be looking at ways to support LeBron. In a lot of ways, trading for Anthony Davis was, Sure. A key idea around supporting LeBron James. Like, oh, we're going to get one of the most dynamic and rangy big men in the world who is an offensive force in his own right as a pick and roll finisher. And we're going to match him up and a defensive marvel. And we're going to match that dude up with LeBron James, the ultimate Swiss Army knife, who is a pick and roll genius. And we're going to flank those and we're going to flank them with with role playing shooters, defensive guys. It's like, oh, wow, that team won an NBA championship. And supporting LeBron has always been this idea of like, got to get more shooting. Got it. Like, OK, well, now we maybe want more ball handling. And these are it's like been a key driver of the roster construction, I think, is how to support LeBron James. But as we transition into the Anthony Davis era. And where AD is your night-to-night best player, Mm -hmm. supporting Anthony Davis is also an idea that needs to be at the forefront of roster construction and team building. And I've said this a lot, man. It's just like AD is willing to do whatever you want him to do because he's a mostly very coachable guy who wants Mm -hmm. to win and has always been about doing what the team needs in, in order to win. In fact, he's one of those types of superstars or stars that will recede and take a step back in order to best promote what is needed for the team. And so he'll stand in the corner if the idea is, well, we need to get LeBron isolated at the top against a big. AD will come and set the screen. He will get the switch, and then he'll go to the corner 
because that's what the idea is around sure. that specific action. And so in building around AD then, trying to figure out, well, what does he need? What does he want? Oh, he wants to play a little bit more forward? Okay, well then let's pair him up with another big guy. They've been doing that more and more this year. He's been playing with Wood. He's played some with Hayes, but not a lot with Hayes. Like, I think that there is more of that. The idea of, though, that those guys are necessarily solutions against the, the Sabonises or the Jokic's of the world, that's where that idea, like, flattens out and isn't as valid there. Like, the idea is there, but the execution is not necessarily with those specific guys. But it's it's tricky because in the big picture, AD is the guy that you're going to want to close games mm-hmm. with at center. But that doesn't mean he has to play center 95% of his minutes. Let's take a break here and talk about some of the potential solutions for those big bruiser types. So I think you accurately point out that Hayes and Wood in particular are different types of bigs in that, like, I have this kind of developing theory of basketball of there's three ways to beat a guy is one is on the ground. And so that's the, that's speed, right? You can beat a guy with, with, uh, you can beat a guy with your feet. And so I remember I did an article for The Athletic a long time ago. It was either Trey Young or Darius Garland. But basically it was like there were clips counting the number of steps that he was taking when switched up against a big. And he takes so, he took so many small little steps that he was taking like three steps for every step that the big that was switched onto him. And the big had zero chance because he could change direction basically twice before the big's foot had landed. And so that was just yeah. kind of his way of, of cooking guys. So that's one way of beating someone. The other one is through strength by going through them. I call that kind of the strike zone, like the NBA or like a, like Major League Baseball, where it's like kind of the area between your knees and shoulders. There's a lot of battles and, you know, arm bars and, and uh, you know, all that sort of physicality of the game kind of happens in that area between the knees and the shoulders of a player. And then the other one is over the top, right? And so Sabonis is a strike zone type of guy. He's a guy that's going to use his physicality to beat you. He's not going to try to jump over you. He is he is fast in that he moves well and he plays with great motor. You, he almost, you'll almost never see a dip in the amount of force that he plays with. But fundamentally, he's a guy that's going to try to go through you. And when you think about guys like Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood, they're tall and lanky type of guys. And so even though they're bigs, they're actually vulnerable to this in that you can kind of go through them because they have higher centers of gravity. And so those are the guys that get pushed under the basket. I feel like we have two guys on the team that can hold their ground on the ground where in the front court that where that's their strength. One is LeBron, who, because of it being in year 21 and, and all of that, the asks of him like, hey, go guard Sabonis tonight, you know, on a third game in four nights. It's, it's ridiculous, right? You can't do that. That's not realistic. It's not. But the other guy who we do ask to do this is Rui. And he, to me, is is with the insertion of Reddish into the starting lineup, and I'm super curious to see if that sticks when Vando comes back. I'd kind of like it to um, because I think that he's more of a two than uh, than Vando is. But 
With the addition of him, Rui really stands out to me as a guy that can help AD for precisely this reason, D, is that more so than Wood, more so than Hayes, Rui can take those guys and at least hold his ground. Rui's a strong guy. He's not a super high high leaper. And if you ask him to chase the Kevin Herters of the world around screens, which we asked him to do a little bit last night. He tried. Hey, Rui's always going to try, right? Like, But that's not what he does for a living, right? And so to me, like... In the spirit of you want to still space the floor and you want to uh, have somebody that can help Anthony Davis, Ruby is a guy who can do that. He can take that guy down low. And if nothing else, it means AD is not taking the physical pounding that on a night-to-night basis that I think is is really dangerous. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, about the idea of how do we deal with the bruisers around the league? Because that's kind of where my mind goes is that Rui is a big part of that. I think Rui is probably the best solution that's Mm in-house. I wouldn't say that he is, that this is like what he's necessarily good at either. Rui is strong and he is sturdy. This is a good point. And he is young enough where he has that flexibility in his hips and his legs to get low. Yeah. But Rui is not as, um, you remember before the season started and, um, they were asking Rue if he had lost weight uh-huh. and he sort of like, was this like, I haven't lost any weight. I was just standing I'm next to LeBron. Mad. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually mad at Pete. And oh yeah. That's everyone. what they're saying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. I'm actually mad at Pete and everyone who works behind the scenes putting out imagery for the Lakers because they had me standing next to LeBron and every single picture and he's LeBron and I'm just, and I'm just Rui, right. basically, which is funny coming from like you stand Rui up to next of to next to a bunch of dudes, and this is like probably the Rui. most He's impressive, impressive physical yeah. specimen you're gonna see, yeah. right? But you put him next to LeBron, and he's right. LeBron is one of those dudes where it's just like, oh my god, like just the way that he can, the sturdiness of his frame is just at a different level than Rui even, and so Rui can do this. I I I agree with that. And on the team, besides LeBron, he is the next best option. That said, like I've seen Rui try to defend like Shengun, who is mm-hmm. very who is in, in the, the same silk. mold, yep. and. These guys are able to sort of like knock him off a little bit and then like spin and use footwork. Now, if it's AD coming from the weak side in order to then bother that, right. that's a different equation. And so I understand it still feels a little like sacrificial lamish to me to say, hey, Rui, mm-hmm. go out here and like basically get your teeth kicked in by these dudes and stand in there strong. We know you can do it, but you're going to lose those battles more often than you win them. But that's the point of it, because we've got we want to give you support from the backside. Like. I'm with the idea. I do wish that there was like a a better solution whose guy, a guy whose job it was to go in there and be like, well, also being a capable offensive player and a guy who's like, I mean, sure. Yeah. Right. Right. But like, there are guys like this around the league. Like, I mean, I I don't want to bring up a a bunch of names, but it's just like, Oh, defensive stalwart center who is kind of big bodied and, and can kind of hang in there against some of these, these dudes, these, these guys exist. It's just like, but are you really going to carry that sort of guy on your roster just for this specific job? And, and 
Maybe. I mean, this was Maybe. part of the debate of the summer, right? And in when we were waiting for uh, what eventually became the Christian Wood signing, who I'm very happy that we brought on board. He's leading us in net rating. It's funny. He's like got he's very lost on offense, but he's doing a lot of dirty work stuff. It's just kind of funny that Christian Wood is that guy early on, right? Like he's your net rating star who's not scoring. And uh, and that was part of the debate, though, is that guy that can kind of hold his ground, you know, and Darwin gave a very thoughtful explanation of those types of guys and how they're unplayable against some teams. Um, but basically the type of guy that you're describing is a center-sized Rui, right? Like the big part of yes. why Rui is not effective in a one-on-one against a Shangun or even a Sabonis. Sabonis got him a couple times last night is that he's still a forward at the end of the day, right? And so yes. I also want this type of player and agree that there are limitations to this. I also think Rui can win some battles going the other way too, though. And totally, 100%. In that like he can outrun them, he can, you know, he can still space the floor. And really what I'm saying is that he should be replacing a guy like Prince, you know, who's yeah. providing who provides nothing at all in terms of the physicality aspects of the game. And so anyhow, that, that you, and you can still space the floor, right? And so seeing the team go small over and over again and, and fall down it's, by 20. And the fact that there are going to continue to be nights like last night where they don't have, it's an 82 game season and this is part of it. Minnesota, who's been, playing great, had a very similar game to us last night in a back-to-back against Phoenix, and they got their butts kicked. And, you know, that's something that happens around the league. However, you can't be small and lethargic to win a game, yes. win games, right? Like, you have, we have to, we, we were all excited in yesterday's pod about the attacking style of defense, right? And will we blitz Fox or not? We didn't. And we weren't in an attacking style at all. We were back-footed, in fact. And, yeah. But you can't go 82 games constantly blitzing in rotation and all of that. But you can't also be small and lethargic, right? And so if we are going to come out like that, and we are going to come out like that, to me, the resolution to that is to go bigger. I agree. This is a stat that I haven't brought it up like on the pod. The LeBron, Rui, and AD front court. Man. So. How many minutes um, have they played? Five minutes. Man. Together all season. They are a plus five overall in five minutes, right? And so they've scored 14 points. Their opponents have scored nine, right? And so talk about a small sample size. Part of this is because Rui missed games, but another part of it is that Rui has been the LeBron replacement in almost every lineup construction that that the Lakers have. And when you're the LeBron replacement, you're not going to play a lot with LeBron. And... I, if there's one change I would like to see in the rotation, I think your idea about starting Rui potentially next to Cam with like a guard and like because you still have that point of attack up. defense that you were worried about without Vando. Yeah, and, and scaling up across the board, I love that idea. And do I think that's going to happen anytime soon? I like I don't. I agree. I don't. Um, but. One thing I would like to see is for the sub patterns to be adjusted in in a way where the LeBron Rui AD group gets four to five minutes a game together. They were the front court that you relied on to close almost every important playoff game last season. They were a critical trio after the trade deadline. 
when LeBron was healthy, they were a critical trio in the first round against Memphis, and they were a critical trio in the Western Conference Finals against Denver. Rui did not play as well against Golden State. And they forced I think you to play you a different style of, of basketball too. Right. Yeah. Y- yeah. And Sacramento did some of that too. Mm-hmm. And they had Rui out there trying to chase Kevin Herter because of it. And it's just like, right. I get it. I get it. It's not going to be an every night solution, but it should be like an 80 to 90% night solution where it's just like, look, we've got these athletes and we don't think you have the dudes to compromise them enough defensively while still being able to defend these guys like on the other end. And I just want to see that group play more together. Mm-hmm. They're in aggregate, your three best forwards mm-hmm. and bigs. Mm-hmm. And they don't play together, even though they can. And they're very good when they do. Yeah. Compare that five yeah, minutes to 134 just- minutes with Torian Prince. Yeah, and it's just like, look, man, like I get it. Like Prince, Prince is one of those those dudes where he's like a good NBA player. He's a good NBA player. He just doesn't do right. dirty work stuff right. as that guy. It's one of the reasons you called Cam a revelation last pod. And one of the reasons why is because, like, oh, look, there's Cam in the passing lane again, or there he is being disruptive defensively. Yeah. Earlier during the preseason, I called Cam like like he he was chaos. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mean it in a good way. Right. Right. Now, there was some good aspects to, to that, but mostly it was just like, Cam, bro, high gather and you're throwing the ball into the stands. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? But that's been channeled so much better. And you can see the success of that. Prince is just like, oh, damn, look at that. Step back jumper. Like, oh, attack the closeout. Oh, Euro, finish inside. Those are like beautiful things that Prince is doing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to diminish the things that he's doing well. That said, he seems like the guy that is overlapping in potentially harmful ways within lineup construction that Mm -hmm. it's getting sussed out over the course of 10, 12, 15 games. And these are the trends that are starting to develop. And I'm hoping going into Friday's game and then going on and when Vando comes back that we start to see more of a realignment within the idea of who the forwards are on this team team are and why Rui should play a bigger part in that because he can be that tweener forward that I think has always been super important to me as an idea that the guy you slot between LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And also Wood is in this mix too. They're that group's like a plus 54 and 58 minutes or something like yes. the wood LeBron AD. It's just LeBron and AD with another large human being. Vando was great with them too. Kuz was great. Morris was great with them. Like there's a trend. Um, anyhow, uh, we'll wrap it up here tomorrow. We're going to, we have something not confirmed yet, but we may take a little trip down mem- memory lane. Uh, maybe not, but we'll see. Uh, but until then you've been listening to Laker film room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. 
Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes! with a little tap to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.